Welcome to Max's Table, a food podcast from the State Hornet, where we talk about food, learn about food, so we can learn more about people. Now, we've all been stuck inside for a very long time at this point, or largely stuck inside or mostly staying home, however exactly it works for you. And there are a lot of food and cooking hobbies that have become cliche during the pandemic. Baking bread is probably at the top of that list. Pickling is probably another one. I have perfected a spicy bread and butter pickle recipe during my time stuck at home, and I've got some watermelon rinds that I'm about to get started on. Has anyone tried making their own ramen broth yet? It's ridiculously complicated, and may well be a subject soon for this podcast. Remember when you couldn't find anything at the grocery store, and there was a moment where it felt like we were all going to have to grow our own food? Did you stock up on frozen food and dry beans? I built four raised garden beds at this time, not because I was panicked about the food supply, but because it was just something my wife and I had always wanted to do, but had never had the time to, and suddenly we had plenty of time. I had no idea what I was doing when I planted seeds, and I learned that if you have no idea what you're doing, you get the results of a person who has no idea what they're doing. So I wanted to talk to a gardening expert, and that's how I found Nicole McDavid. Nicole is the garden coordinator for the Capital Public Radio Garden. If you didn't know, Cap Radio is next to Napa Hall, near Folsom Boulevard, and they have about a three-quarter acre garden with beehives and fruit trees and garden beds where they grow produce that's then donated to the ASI Food Pantry and other food banks. Nicole tends to this large garden and uses no additional chemicals or pesticides to grow the nearly 2,000 pounds of produce she produces per year. Just water, sunlight, and compost. So she was the perfect guest to give tips on starting your own organic home garden. Our interview jumps right in, with Nicole talking about how she got into urban farming and gardening in the first place. Here's Nicole. My mom had some raised beds in our at our house growing up, and I never did anything with them. Uh, and then I realized <laughs> um, about you know twenty some odd years later when I bought my first house that uh, it had a cherry tree, and I had no idea what to do with it. And then also having that first house, I had space, and so I'm like, well, I can keep mowing the lawn or we could take out the lawn by putting a bed in there and growing something that we were we could eat Uh, we were living in Oregon um, at the time and growing my own food uh, being more aware of uh, food systems was definitely my interest in my line of sight as well as all of my friends at the time and knowing more about my food and where it was coming from was important to me and then being able to grow my own end up uh being kind of the next adventure. Um, I took gardening classes and then I ended up being hired as an urban farmer in a local um, green sustainable neighborhood. So I ended up having about 400 orchard trees to take care of and about 8,000 square feet of glass greenhouse to take care of um, as well as kind of organize a CSA and produce vegetables that went across the street into our cafe on site Uh, and about 10 years later I'm still trying to find all the work I can uh, within kind of the urban farming uh, community and working at the um, Cap Radio Garden um, is the next step. 
but what are the obstacles you see in our larger food system to trying to shift to more sustainable and, you know, larger production of organic farming? Right. Um, I unfortunately, I think economics is probably the biggest um, obstacle um, and problem with this whole situation. It takes a lot of money for either a small farmer or even a large farmer to convert their practices to being organic. Do they put money even into keeping their certification going? Who are they giving their money to to have that certification? Are consumers even looking to see if they are certified after they put all of this money into it? Someone still may choose not to buy their produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and for someone like me, I'm. I'm growing in a garden that I'm producing, you know, 2,000 or more pounds a year. I'm not making enough. um, I'm not selling that product, so I'm not getting any income. I can't go and certify the garden um, organic, uh, but I'm using all of my own organic, you know, uh, knowledge, and I'm choosing to garden that way. Um, But I'm not, you know, I can't put money out into getting like a little fancy uh, a sticker that I can put on all my produce saying that it is, you know, organic. And yeah. there's a lot of farmers who are maybe make that choice um, to go to garden and grow organically, but they don't have the certification, but then because they don't have that certification, they can't, you know, market that they're organic and then they're they're They lose out on the benefits of that. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So into some of the just straight gardening questions. And I think the yeah. first one for, for students are kind of Sac State related is if all you have is a small outdoor patio and a few pots, what are, what are the best things to grow in Sacramento? What are sort of the most foolproof things to try to grow here in our climate? Sure. The first question that I um, would respond with would be, what do you like to eat? There's no use growing lettuce and spinach if you're not going to eat that salad. You have to kind of judge your time, see what kind of space you have, and then say what would you what would you honestly eat. Um, if you if that ends up being that you do stir fry and maybe just have like a green onion growing in one little pot on your patio, you would be a successful gardener uh, with one simple little thing, um, an herb. Uh, like a basil or a rosemary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds good. So er- herbs are a good place to start for mm-hmm. sure. Something yeah. to spice up your food with some fresh herbs and then something simple. Maybe a tomato plant. If you st- if it was springtime, maybe you could do a tomato plant. Yeah. Don't worry about tomatoes now, but you know, yeah. In, in, uh, in May or June by that, by that tomato plant. Yeah. Can I plant Swiss chard or kale or something like that now going into the fall? Yes, definitely. Those are those are those are fall happy plants, and actually, kales, uh, collards, a little bit of Swiss chard, but mostly like kales. Um, they like kind of our cool night temperatures, and they actually end up being sweeter um, in the fall. Are there any plants? You know, you can go to a Home Depot and buy seeds for almost anything. Or mm-hmm. is there anything that you've seen sold that you know this is not? Don't waste your time with this. This is never really going to grow in a Sacramento climate. Brussels sprouts are tricky. People, some people really like Brussels sprouts and um, they can be really cool plants, but they take a little more maintenance. So they're definitely not a plant to start with. Um, And 
you get so much more if you just buy the stock at your farmer's market versus trying to grow your own. So um, I would definitely not worry about like a Brussels sprout that kind of makes like a little head and then you have to take care of that and let it mature and then harvest it the exact right time. Okay. So I have some raised beds and I've done some root vegetables with varying success. Um, So what's the problem if I get a beautiful top, right? I planted some beets and I got some nice beet greens that sprouted up and then the beet shriveled up into a marble. You know, it was like I had six inch beet greens and a marble sized beet and I planted some, you know, variety of colored carrots and I got big 12, 14 inch beautiful carrot tops and two inch shriveled carrots in the ground. So what's happening that my root vegetables are not growing in a raised bed? If you planted too early, um, our Septembers and our Octobers um, are still pretty warm. And some root vegetables, they that heat and that um, huge heat swing that we have where your daytime temperatures can still be 80s and 90s. And then maybe, you know, we start to get into the lower 50s, like at night, like that's a huge swing for the vegetable and it actually gets shocked when it cools and then it gets shocked when it um, warms up. Root vegetables are actually really, really temperamental. Your beet and your carrot, they all have a taproot. And the moment that that taproot hits anything like a a rock in your soil or Mm. a clump of clay in your soil, when the um, beet or the carrot is young, when it hits that, it becomes an impediment for it. And so it starts to grow crooked or you get the carrots that are, you know, holding each other and hugging. Uh-huh. And that's all, it's all a response to the taproot um, hitting something while it was trying to, um, you know, grow to its, you know, depth before it actually started adding, you know, mass. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how much space do you need between plants? If someone has, you know, a few raised beds, like I have, how many, you know, I think my beds are three by six and so you know how much sort of space do you want to leave in between crops obviously depends somewhat on the plan or what you're doing but what are some no-nos as far as planting things too close together or or not using the space to its advantage and not sort of packing them in in a way that you can Right. Um, I love uh, companion planting and intercropping. So I am putting radishes and carrots underneath my um, uh, you know broccoli plants and in between my Swiss chard rows. Um, so I'm plant- I like to plant things a little bit closer um, and intercropping so that I am, you know, I'm putting, I'm utilizing the space under that large plant. Um, and I'm also know that my like radish is only going to take 30 to 40 days um, because I know my broccoli is not going to be ready until like 90 or 110 days, depending on when I'm planting it and what, what kind I'm planting it. So definitely look at your seed packet and that's going to be the, the best way to find that information. And then, um, you know, don't be afraid to maybe put something small that has a less amount of time uh, to grow under maybe that broccoli that's going to be that long-term plant. When do I throw in the towel? on a on a crop not in gardening as a whole (laughs) i'm not there yet but when when do i throw in the towel and say oh this is already like 10 days past when it was i was supposed to have a crop and it's still hopeless um 
because I have a hard time doing that. I'm like, I'm just going to leave it there forever till I get something when I probably should till it under and replant something else. Yeah. Well, it definitely would depend on, um, on what you're growing. Uh, my, the very first thing that I grew in my college years was spinach in, you know, one little, um, container on my patio. It had the one little spot of sunlight that it could get. And I tried spinach because I'm like, I'll, I'll eat a salad if I have spinach right out my door. Um, and I think I got maybe five leaves before spider mites moved in and just ate the whole, just populated the whole thing. And no matter how many times I washed it off. And of course I was on the top floor, so, um, I can't really water my plant because all the water and bugs would be washed off into my bottom floor neighbor's um, garden. So, um, you know, I, I probably kept that spider mite spinach just because I, yeah, I, I put all this time into it and I wanted, maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll just fly away and then I'll have my spinach back. Um, I should have just gotten rid of it because also, especially if you're talking about pests, they're not just going to get up and go away. So you said with pests, once you have really have a lot of pests, maybe just nix the plant. What about sort of disease or fungus? We start to notice a lot of white. Um, if it's sort of early, if you haven't really harvested yet, but you start to see either some, you know, real splotchy yellowing or, you know, that white kind of dust. Um, like powdery, fungus mil- gets powdery mildew yeah. is what you're talking about. Right. For powdery mildew, it's that, yeah, it's that white stuff that you get on your leaves and um, the extra moisture in your soil doesn't leave in the winter t- or in the nighttime because it's cool and it's dark. It doesn't evaporate. There's no reason to, and it actually probably gets more moisture because of dew and humidity. Um, so don't water your plants um, late and in kind of that cool evening temperatures, especially at night, because you would have too much moisture and that's just going to invite the fungus in. Um, how important are bees for a home garden? Super, super, super important. Yeah. Okay. So what should I plant to attract bees? Mm. Um, A lot of herbs uh, that are in the mint family um, are produce um, little flowers and a lot of flowers and also multiple flushes of flowers um, within a year. So um, they, uh, and also those are mostly are perennial herbs. So if you keep it healthy, it'll keep coming back year after year. So you mentioned what someone in a small garden could do in the winter or going into fall. What are you getting ready to plant at the Cap Radio Garden? Yeah, I'm getting ready to plant all of um, my coal crops. The coal crop is the name that they give a lot of um, the plants that you're planting in the fall. So that would be like your broccoli, cauliflower, all of your kales, anything in the mustard green or mustard family. Um, Actually, it's everything in the brassica family. So it's your broccoli, your cauliflower, your cabbage, uh, mustard greens, bok choys, napa cabbage, um, a lot of your stir fry greens, all of those are usually in the cold crop brassica families. Um, Carrots, your root vegetables, root vegetables don't like a lot of heat, so they're definitely a fall and winter vegetable. So carrots, beets, um, kohlrabi, parsnips, Brussels sprouts, if you want to try that. <laughs> onions, uh, green onions, bulb onions, bunching onions, um, and then a lot of your lettuces and spinaches and arugulas. Okay. Uh, all of that is in my plan. Cool. Um, 
So I think it's fair for me to say, at least <laughs> listening to you, that probably the biggest mistake I made and probably the biggest mistake maybe lots of people make is just not researching and really figuring out what to plant when. Because I think every crop you've mentioned that wants cool weather, I planted <laughs> in May after I built my beds. And, you know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, that would make sense why my green bean shriveled and so did my carrots and my lettuce, you know, got burned. And yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, I got a few things eventually, but like pretty much everything I grew um, like started OK and then shriveled up. Yeah, well, you go to the grocery store, you can buy carrots. 365 days a year you can't grow right. carrots 365 days of the year in your backyard um, but right. how are you supposed to know unless you put that those carrot seeds in the ground and then maybe you read the seed packet that says oh you're only supposed to do it from here to here you know in the time of the year yeah um so there's a there is a big disconnect i think um with you know our just our food systems and what we're growing and um, I'm constantly, even with coworkers, they're asking, "Hey, are there any lemons in the in the garden that you know I can pick? So you know I can put on my salad." But they're asking me in in August, and I'm like, "No, unfortunately, citrus is actually a winter uh, fruit, and um, those lemons, those kumquats, those oranges, they're not going to be ripe until um, December and January. So come back with your salad then." <laughs> but yeah, you think you go to the sense. grocery store and get a lemon anytime. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess I just figured, well, they're here. I like all these vegetables and they're here in the store and yeah. seed package. Surely they wouldn't sell me, you know, they wouldn't be here if they wouldn't grow this time of year. No. And I talked to you that's and it's like, no, I... none of this is going to grow in 110 <laughs> degree heat. Yeah. That's um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So last few questions at the end of every show, I always ask uh, every guest the same four sort of food related questions. And so the first one is... What is your sort of favorite cheap guilty pleasure mm, that I'm growing or that I'm buying in the store? No, that you buy. This is just oh, anything you okay. eat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, geez. Um, avocados. So when I see, you know, I can get like three for, um, you know, five dollars, like I, I'm buying all the avocados I can. <laughs> um, if money's no object. What are you either going to, you know, buy to cook for yourself or what are you going to go out to eat? There's a certain restaurant in my neighborhood that um, has a uh, an omelet that has like goat cheese and beets. And a lot of the times in the winter, they're golden beets, which mm. are the, the better beet. I agree. But they're extra expensive because they're <laughs> interesting colored. And um, yeah, this, even though when you buy golden beet seeds, they're three times the price of the regular red beet, but whatever. Um, so I would buy that all the time because goat cheese and golden beets in an omelet. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing to cook at home? I used to eat pasta. And when I ate pasta slash gluten and carbs, um, I would throw in like cherry tomatoes in the summertime to make kind of my pasta sauce, my like rustic uh, fresh pasta sauce. Mm -hmm. um, and I would I would do that all year round if I could get cherry tomatoes to grow year round. Um, but uh, I haven't perfected it with my carrot noodles. Um, but the you know, the rustic sauce with just like a fresh tomato and throwing it right into the pan and then that being like my tomato sauce. I really, really love that. And we, we do yeah. that pretty often. OK. And what's the what's the thing that somebody used to cook for you growing up that 
you you remember you would almost wish you could go back in time and eat so my parents had um cherry trees in our um yard growing up and after I hit like high school they stopped producing and um so they were just cool trees but uh, when we had all of these cherries we would um, freeze them and then my um, aunt would make like a cherry cobbler with them like Ooh. later in the season when you know the cherries weren't growing and like that was like my favorite dessert ever yeah um, so it makes me want to have a cherry tree so that I can <laughs> grow um, but cherry trees are tough in the Sacramento area because we get too much heat cool well Nicole thank you so much for taking the time on to meet you and to talk about gardening yes um, I will talk about gardening all the time so anytime you need someone to chat let me know that's it for this episode of Max's Table. We visited Nicole at the Cap Radio Garden a couple weeks ago, and State Hornet Multimedia Editor Sarah Nevis took some amazing photos. You can find those photos, as well as a picture I took of the sad carrots I harvested from my own garden, on the show page for this episode at statehornet.com. Until next week, enjoy some food you love with someone you love. <laughs>